Megan. This is Alyssa. I'm Hannah, and you're listening to Midwest is Best. In this episode, Megan shares the truth about Johnny Appleseed. Hannah condones eating cranberries, not children. And Alyssa thinks that maybe Satan isn't such a bad guy. Let's get it started. Started. Ha. Ha. We are not starting this podcast with Black Eyed Peas. I will not stand for that. That's not one of the harvest crops we're discussing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is not. That's actually, you know, Megan, another good start to our podcast. Oh, off to a strong start as always. So, a little introduction. This episode's coming out right between Halloween, Thanksgiving. It's harvest time. All the delicious goodies are coming in from the fields. Well, I mean, it's not like you pull pumpkin pie out of the field, but you know what I mean. That would be amazing. Like a field I know, of right? pumpkin pie. It's like Cabbage Patch Kids, but something people actually want. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, it's so harsh. Came out really bitter. <laughs> anyway, we anyway. love fall. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some of our favorite harvest foods. And I am going to kick things off with a discussion of apples. And for once, okay, usually I'm the one that's like, I'm just going to tell a weird story. about apples that in no way informs the listener about their history. But I did my historical research this time. I'm very proud of myself, so hear me out. I'm proud of you too, Megan. Thank you. Thank you. I have to ask for praise sometimes. So apples are something that that everybody has had. Like everyone has had an apple. It was the go-to brown bag fruit in your in your lunch in middle school but not a lot of people know that apples were not native to north america they came here from europe in well they believe around the 1600s and they just took off like crazy the brooklyn botanic garden society believes that at one time there were over 14,000 cataloged varieties in the united states alone 14,000 different kinds of apples it's so like Pink Lady and Red Delicious. and. Mm-hmm. By the 19th century was when they were doing a lot of the cataloging because, as I'll talk about shortly, that number drops off dramatically as we move into more commercial production because you start weeding out some of the stuff that's not as hearty or not as delicious. You pick and choose the varieties, and then right now, commercially, we're down to about 90 that you'll find in like grocery stores and stuff, but there's still thousands of varieties available but they're typically through like small orchards. Commercially, again, it's about 90. But back to my history. You're not the only history teacher today, Alyssa. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about everybody's favorite apple folk hero, Johnny Appleseed. Oh, tell me now, more. <laughs> uh, you think you know the story, but as I was researching, it's a lot more exciting than you would think. You think you know Johnny, but you don't yeah. know Johnny. Because it wasn't like this Disney story that we were kind of brought up with. He wasn't planting apples like apples we eat today. Back in about 18, the early 1800s, when westward expansion was pretty much anything west of Pennsylvania. Well, they weren't states yet, but associations that were trying to start these states, like Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, they were trying to bring people in. So they would promise 100 acres to anybody who was willing to put up a permanent settlement. And the way you could tell it was permanent was by planting apple trees, because they, at the time, on average, it took about 10 years for them to grow to a point where they would bear fruit. Classic 
classic tactic to make America grow is to say, hey, we'll give you this land, and in return, then, like, you have to do things on that land, like, you know, yes. grow apples. But this, this is where our friend Johnny Appleseed, real name, John Chapman, comes in, because he sees, aha, opportunity. He is the true American businessman. He goes and he starts claiming all this property and plants his orchards to establish them and then sells them to new settlers so they don't have to go through all the work. And he's making money hand over fist or whatever, you know, like 1830s money. Maybe it's not enough to be hand over fist, but it's, we'll say bushels, bushels of money. (laughs) So this is a story, though, about a man spreading seeds around. But putting all the green in his pocket. Hey, oh, no. nailed it. <laughs> John is going around like he's building all of these orchards. But the thing, you know, when you learn the story in school, it was like, ah, then everybody had delicious apples to eat and there was no want in these communities. Close, but not quite true because the apples he was planting were not edible. They tasted terrible <laughs> or had like no taste, but they were perfect for making hard cider. Oh, yeah. Which. At the time, was one of the most popular drinks in North America. Safer to drink than the water in a lot of places. Exactly. I was just going to say, that's why a lot of them were so popular was the water wasn't super reliable, and people knew with the apple cider they were getting something safe. By the time he died in 1845, he had started literally hundreds of orchards. But sadly, not a lot of Johnny Appleseed orchards still exist today because when Prohibition came around, one of the first things the government did was go around and start destroying orchards. The FBI got actual orders, and I checked this with the Smithsonian. (laughs) The FBI would take hatchets and cut down orchards during Prohibition to stop the production of apple cider. Hannah, you're giving me a funny look, but the Smithsonian said it. No, I believe you. I just think that's like, you know, sometimes you think of like, oh, the government used to be different or people (laughs) love conservation. (laughs) We have not been great with resources for a long time. I just like the visual, though, of like FBI G-men, like in my mind, it's like they're in like suits out there with like hats. Yeah, they're very in their like 1920s, like, see here, tree, you won't be ruined any more lives. (laughs) <laughs> what a sad, sad waste of apple cider cheese. I know, but be glad there are still a lot of people out there who have private orchards or there are nonprofits who have orchards that have kept a lot of those varieties alive. Maybe not the hard cider ones. Um, there's definitely still some of that, but there's organizations and one that I just want to give a little shout out to because I was a- actually able to go visit their orchard, Seed Savers in Decorah, Iowa. They have an old orchard that had been abandoned years ago and they've put a lot of TLC into bringing it back up and now they have about 900 varieties that you just you cannot find other places in the U.S. and it's really cool if you're ever visiting Iowa it's a cool one to check out and it's called they call it their heritage farm that's my little history lesson on apples but now I'm just gonna throw I had three fun facts that I didn't know how else to incorporate (laughs) So first, Michigan is one of the top five apple-producing states in the country. So yay, Michigan. Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, and Michigan. I'm I'm checking them off. Then the Honeycrisp, one of the nation's most popular varieties of apple. I think it recently overtook Red Delicious. But it is also one of the newer varieties of apples. It was bred by the University of Minnesota's fruit breeding program. 
and they started breeding them in the 1960s, but it wasn't approved for commercial use until 1991. So it took them 31 years to get the perfect to make uh, it the perfect honey crisp. They're so good. They are. They're They're amazing. Way to go, Minnesota. I think they're completely worth the amount that you have to pay for them because they are (laughs) one of the more expensive varieties, but worth it. That fun fact did not make my list, but when I was researching, they said, like, yeah, Honeycrisps on average are twice the cost of a Red Delicious, but Red Delicious is widely known as the Budweiser of apples. (laughs) I was like, whoa! I mean, I know it's nobody's favorite, but, like, that's an odd comparison to make. But you know what? So, it's a fair comparison. Yeah, I was like, I don't know if I feel worse for Red Delicious or Budweiser. Like, there's (laughs) nothing wrong with it. But it wouldn't be the first choice. But it could be for someone, and that's fine. (laughs) It's It's like bad taste. That's like the most, like, Midwestern, like, response ever. We don't mean to make fun of you Budweiser drinkers out there. It's okay. (laughs) My last fun fact, and this one isn't specific to the Midwest, but I just really liked it. There was a custom in ancient times to throw apples instead of rice at weddings because the fruit was often seen as a symbol of love and fertility. So could you imagine getting nailed with an apple as you, like, walk out of your wedding? I was just thinking (laughs) of your wedding, Megan, because Hannah and I were in attendance, and I just really think if we would have been throwing apples... I mean, I love apples, but you could have really yeah. had some. It definitely would have been a competition of, like, who can nail Megan with the apple. <laughs> there would be no winners because you would feel so bad about, like, knocking on my tooth and getting blood <laughs> on my nice white dress. If we miss, like, it hits someone on the other side in the crowd. Now you just have your guests <laughs> chucking apples You at took one out Grandma Patty! No! So, see, I did end up with a weird story in mind, but there was some history. I hope everyone feels they learned something about apples. But I do also like that the last fact in your history was in ancient times. (laughs) Very specific (laughs) researched fact. Hey, that came from usapples.gov. So, .gov, that's real. Thanks, government. Also, with Johnny Appleseed, there's a BuzzFeed series, and I don't think they're continuing it, but it's called Ruining History, and they uh-huh. did a whole thing on Johnny Appleseed, and they talked more about, like, where the image of him wearing a pot came from. Supposedly, oh. he kept his money in the pot on his head so no one could steal it. <laughs> I did not use BuzzFeed as my source. When I saw this cool Smithsonian article that was like, he's a joke, <laughs> I was like, good enough for me. Yeah. So that's what I prepared on apples. It's <laughs> good. But I wanted to end with... How about them apples? I hate everything about this. Okay, well, since you didn't have a personal story to tell about your relationship with apples, I do have a personal story to tell about cranberries. I actually grew up in one of the top cranberry-producing counties, Ah. which is (laughs) exciting. Clarify why there's a top-producing county. Like, that's a big deal in Wisconsin. Well, there's like 20 counties in Wisconsin that produce cranberries, and Wisconsin is the number one cranberry producer in the country. So. so wait, do you know the Ocean Spray Cranberry guys? I have eaten a cranberry out of a bog that supplies Ocean Spray. Eh, okay. I really, when you hesitated, I was like, she's gonna say <laughs> I was hoping so. <laughs> no. I was hoping that maybe they, like, were shooting commercials in one of the local bogs. They wouldn't come out to where I grew up, I think. You live in the shady bog <laughs> end of town. <laughs> Their bog isn't good enough for commercials. So last time I talked about how I went on a field trip to Baraboo and saw a crane drown and devour a mouse. 
This field trip wasn't that traumatizing. This was a little earlier than fifth grade. And we all got to go to a cranberry bog before they flooded it and go pick a couple cranberries of our own to take home and eat and learn about it. Uh, so it was Wait, very... You had, you had to pick it before it was flooded? Isn't that a lot harder? It's just in the bushes. So it's easier to harvest they... because they float. But if you have like a bus full of second graders, you're going to send them into a bog. You can just walk to the edge and like pick one off the bush. If you have a busload of second graders, you're just going to make them do the work for you. I was going to say, you suddenly have a tiny and willing workforce who can pick those little berries so dexterously. I think you were manipulated, Hannah. We are only allowed to take a few, actually. We weren't allowed to pick as many as we wanted. We were limited in how many cranberries we could take. Yeah, because they didn't want you stealing the product. They wanted you to pick them so they could sell them. Yeah, OSHA requirements made them stop you. So we got back on the bus to each child with a little pocket full of cranberries. That was your payment. They paid you in cranberries. You're ruining my story. <laughs> I never get through an entire anecdote without some smart-ass remark. Our, our tale of child labor was so such a charming addition. It was a warning to all others. Warning of what? To be able to, like, to tell when you're being taken advantage of. Someone's just trying to use you. You're <laughs> strong back. I think we've uh, oh, we've uncovered God. the seedy underworld of elementary field trips to farms. <sighs> well, there is an official cranberry association for Wisconsin, the Wisconsin State Cranberry Growers, which is where I got a lot of my information. Wisconsin grows about 60% of the country's cranberry crop every year. And we've been the number one producer for the past 23 years. Maine always tries wow. to sneak in there and take the top spot, but they can't. Suck it, Maine. Right. And it's actually the number one fruit crop in all of Wisconsin. There were 5.6 million barrels of cranberries in 2017, and one barrel is 100 pounds. So that's wow. a lot of cranberries. And uh, they're so tiny. Yeah, they're itty-bitty, so there's a lot of cranberries per barrel. There are 250 growers, 21,000 acres across 20 counties. Most of them are in central Wisconsin because it's boggy, central and western Wisconsin. And then most of them are actually just made into other products like ocean spray juice or canned cranberries and things like that. Only about 5% is ever actually sold as just a plain cranberry from straight from the bog. Straight from the bog. Bog to table. <laughs> nice. Bog to table. Bog to table. Let's open a bog to table restaurant that just has like cranberry themed dishes. There actually was a restaurant near some of the bogs called The Bog, and you could go to the nice. bog restaurant after you visit a cranberry bog. I think maybe I've driven past that. Yeah, if it's off the interstate. So yeah, you already mentioned flooding the bog, so a cranberry bog isn't like a swamp. It's basically just a pit, sounds harsh. A large indented area where you can grow the cranberries. They grow on little bushes, and since they're hollow, they float. So if you flood the bog they kind of pop up to the top and then there are these big machines if you have ever seen pictures people have essentially nicer versions of pool noodles like really big ones where they can corral the cranberries and push them towards the harvester God. so there actually are people out there in big waders herding cranberries as they try and collect them. i feel like this would be an excellent field trip for elementary <laughs> students to like put on little waders with pool noodles <laughs> Oh my god, little baby waiters. Yeah. It's adorable. <laughs> Up to your chest in water <laughs> for a child. 
Okay, well, they have to, like, pass swim lessons yeah. before they get to go on this field <laughs> exactly. trip. It's like, a small price to pay. Also, though, I feel like the time, what what time of year are they normally flooding the bogs, Hannah? September into October. Yeah, maybe so not the cold. best time. <laughs> it might be literally freezing. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a history portion. Like apples, cranberries have been important for a long time, though they are native. The first cranberry bogs in Wisconsin date back to the 1830s as professionally producing bogs. But there's recipes, like American recipes containing cranberries that go back to the early 1700s. So almost as soon huh. as Europeans started showing up, they started putting cranberries into their food. Uh, and I wonder then... when they figured out the bog technology. Like, if somebody flooded it by accident, or, like, it flooded one year, and they were like, ah, what a much more convenient way than sending our children out to pick these <laughs> tiny babies. Berries. Native out to, like I said, the East Coast, so when people first started arriving in the country. So, I mean, agricultural colleges existed for a long time. And they grow naturally in marshy areas, and indigenous peoples were eating them long before white people showed up. So in the Midwest, specifically in Wisconsin, the Ho-Chunk traded with settlers up through the mid-1800s before people started producing them on a large scale themselves. So it's kind of an early trade product as well. And now, Wisconsin cranberries are shipped all over the world. Uh, The UK, Russia, Australia, Taiwan, and a few other countries all receive Wisconsin cranberries. And then my other favorite historical fact, and this is my one fun fact, I guess. Uh, So the word cranberry actually comes from craneberry, because the flowers that bloom on cranberry bushes look like a sandhill crane. Huh. And at first I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'm sure they do. That's, you know, there's yeah. all these stupid allegories and stuff for plants. But if you look for cranberry flowers, have a side-by-side comparison, and it actually looks surprisingly oh. like a sandhill crane. So they're actually really pretty. They make cranberries, so good bushes. Double whammy. <laughs> nice job, bushes. <laughs> One of the things that I want to talk about, too, is ways to make stuff with cranberries. I feel like we didn't do that with apples. Apple pie, apple sauce. Apple butter. Basically cook them, (laughs) and they get caramely, almost. Delicious. (laughs) Caramel apples, there you go. Like, apple, you guys know apples. Cranberries are a little harder to come by for recipes. Most people just see it when you slide a tube of cranberry jelly out of the can, which is, like, the worst way to consume cranberries possible. Or for whatever martini that is that people make fun of women oh cosmos uh i really like sour food so i including the ones i picked by hand as a child would just eat them raw because they're crunchy and they have like a cool texture and they taste good historically the menominee people sweeten them with honey or maple sugar which sounds delicious like if you can imagine going out and like tapping a maple tree and then picking cranberries like that sounds like a great combination Uh. my favorite way to consume it is via beer Well, uh, specifically, since we're sticking with the Midwest, in Wisconsin, there's New Glarus, their serendipity flavor. It's my favorite New Glarus beer, and it includes cranberries, because at one point, the cherry crop in Wisconsin failed, so they didn't have enough cherries to do their normal batch, so they combined what cherries they could find with apples, actually, and then cranberries to make this really delicious sour fruit ale. And then if you go to the Warren's Cranberry Festival in Warren's, Wisconsin, you can get all sorts of cranberry food. So this is where you got to make your dreams come true, Megan. Yes, I saw that they had a cranberry cream puff, and I was like, oh my god, I yeah. need to go there. They also have deep-fried cranberries on a stick. That must be a tiny stick. <laughs> <laughs> or you have them in a little, like, bundle, and they're battered, I imagine. Yeah. So the Warren's Cranberry Festival isn't even the only cranberry festival in Wisconsin. It's the biggest one. It was its 46th year this year in 2018. But there's also the Stone Lake Cranberry Festival, the Eagle River Cranberry Fest, and Cranorama, 
and Mana Twish. <laughs> well, but by far the best. Yeah, Cranorama. Beefarama, Cranorama, Ram, all that good food straight into your mouth. <laughs> That's all the information I have about cranberries. Going from like the tiniest of our of our harvest foods to the largest, I guess. Pumpkins <laughs> compared to cranberries. So pumpkins, maybe not well known, but Illinois actually produces more pumpkins than any other state. Huh. Never would have thought like that's Illinois' claim to fame, all that I guess. Flat land. I guess. Yeah. Just- Covered in pumpkins. Instead of America's bread basket, we're their fruit basket. Market that. (laughs) So Illinois producing more pumpkins than any other state. In 2015, they grew 317.9 million pounds of pumpkin. And that was more than the next top three pumpkin producing states combined. So Illinois is just in a class all of its own. They grow 90% of the pumpkins that get used for processing. So that's the kind that you eat versus the kind that you decorate. And pumpkins actually do originate from Central America, native to the continent, just kind of spread their way north. The word pumpkin comes to us from Greek, the word pepin, which is Greek for large melon. Super original with naming things and very descriptive. Oh, but then in a lot of Central American foods and like Mexican foods, you have pumpkin seeds and they're called pepitas. Oh, yeah. So if that's from pepin, it's little large melons. I guess. I don't or know. like large melon bits, I guess, could be another translation. Yeah, they are so pumpkins are a fruit. They're specifically squash. They can be used as Hannah was just saying, a lot of Mexican or Central and South American dishes, both used for sweet cooking and savory. Like your sweets mm. like pumpkin muffins, pumpkin bread, pumpkin pie, obviously, but then also savory, like a pumpkin soup. Or what I've been really loving on lately, pumpkin ravioli. Ooh, look at you cooking outside the box. You know, tasty, yummy things. <laughs> They're good for you. Pumpkins are really good for you. Contain lots of antioxidants, fiber, vitamin A, potassium, and good for your dog, too. That's Yay! true. I've made pumpkin dog treats before for my mom's dogs, and they loved them. I don't know that we've ever fed our dog pumpkin, but we feed our goat pumpkins. <laughs> Probably good, too. Yeah. Pumpkin, so if you're going to feed your dog pumpkin, it, sh- it shouldn't be like chunks of pumpkin. It should be like just get the canned processed pumpkin, but not the pumpkin pie filling. I mean, I like to take that and put it in my dog's Kong toy, and, like instead of peanut butter, and stuff it with pumpkin. Dozy's so healthy. It's good for their digestion, you know. It's, it's just good to regulate that digestion. <laughs> <laughs> it's also really easy to cook your own pumpkin. Pie mm. pumpkins are super cheap at the grocery store, and they're available for like months you just cut it in half and like scoop out the guts and then you flip it upside down inside down on a roasting pan and you just let it cook at a medium temperature the internet will tell you what for a couple hours and then the skin just peels right off and you can mash it like mashed potatoes yeah but make sure that you're getting a pumpkin meant for eating you don't want one of the decorative kinds so there's like the pumpkins fall under like the two categories the two general categories of decorative and processing the decorative are the ones that we're all familiar with and sure that at some point if you grew up in the midwest in elementary school you probably took a field trip to a pumpkin patch and got to run loose in the patch you're the only one that took field trips (laughs) (laughs) did they have you picking pumpkins and putting them on (laughs) wagons to take into town by any chance we also had another field trip i'm sorry we had a field trip where we went to a chestnut grove we got to pick a bunch of chestnuts wow 
<laughs> we did a lot of harvesting, which I never realized. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. So the decorative pumpkins, they're the ones that you'd recognize as being bright orange, have kind of a smoother outside. They have, like, the really sturdy, heavy handles that you just, like, carry it around with or swing them towards your friends with, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Processing ones, the ones that you're supposed to eat, they're paler in color. They've got a meteor inside. They obviously taste better because they're meant to be eaten. And production of those kinds of pumpkins, the kinds meant for eating, they that's just skyrocketed in the last few years as Americans' love of pumpkin anything and everything has grown. <laughs> like pumpkin spice lattes? Well, which has no real pumpkin in it. Starbucks so. kind of doesn't have it. I know, but no now pumpkin. I have a goofy story. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> Kevin ordered a pumpkin spice latte one time and he turned to me and he goes, does this mean I'm basic? <laughs> Yes. Just the sweetest thing I've ever seen. It was like, yes, but I love you anyway. Oh, that's true love. <laughs> so sorry. That's Basic my pumpkin bit. story. Peace <laughs> out. Bye. What's the weirdest thing you've seen so far that's been pumpkin flavored? I'm trying to think of what I've seen, but I don't seek out pumpkin flavored stuff. Wait. Oh, I had a friend who just like loaded up on all, all the pumpkin pumpkin-y stuff. He got pumpkin ginger snaps, I think, which I was like, that's... Sounds okay. Yeah, yeah I think pumpkin cookies. No, no, you can find, like, pumpkin spice toiletry items. Okay. Like, that's what I'm talking oh, okay. about. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was thinking Not of, like, just food. food. Just, like, products in general now. It's, like, crazy. The pumpkin spice huh. market. <laughs> Americans are loving pumpkins more and more each year. The largest uh, ever-grown pumpkin that I could find was over 1,140 pounds. What do you do with that? <sighs> Get a prize, yeah, and then let it rot. I don't know. Scoop it out and put children in it <laughs> <laughs> for photos. It's like this, like the Hansel and Gretel wish, like your world's largest pumpkin, and then bake them inside a true oh, pumpkin uh, pie. The uh, Cinderella cake. <laughs> it could be. It could be like a oh. pumpkin. That's not where I went. I'm sorry. Just eat them. <laughs> I was just thinking like pumpkin playhouse, but okay. I love that you act like pumpkin playhouse is the most normal answer. <laughs> Obviously, you've just got in the door and some windows. Like pumpkin playhouse. I think it's more normal than saying you put kids in and then bake it. Someone else brought up Hansel and Gretel. I was just continuing with that. I'm sorry, I keep derailing us today. <laughs> To make it clear, no one on Midwest's best has ever eaten a human child. <laughs> like, baked or otherwise. Condone such behavior. <laughs> oh my goodness. Largest pumpkin pie. I guess maybe that's what you do with the world's largest pumpkin, is you make the world's largest pumpkin pie. How big was it? <laughs> uh, let me tell you, it was five feet in diameter. I'm like five foot four, oh. so just a little, <laughs> little shorter. It weighed 350 pounds. 80 pounds of cooked pumpkin, 36 pounds of sugar, 12 dozen eggs, and six hours to bake. Wow. But if you use the world's largest pumpkin that was like 1,100 pounds and it only took 80 pounds of you pumpkin. You can make a lot of make, the world's largest pumpkin. You could make a real big pie. <laughs> Antarctica is o the only continent that does not grow pumpkins. It's Antarctica, like, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> they were once used to cure freckles and snake bites. 
how do you cure freckles? Why would you think that eating pumpkin would be the answer to this? I wonder who, like, walked up to their dying wife as she was, like, bitten by a snake and was like, here, eat this. It'll be fine. I happen to have some smashed pumpkin available. And, uh, let's see, early American colonists, they used to use pumpkin in the crust of the pies, not as a filling. And it's believed that the origins of pumpkin pie come from the American colonists as well. They used to clean out pumpkins fill them with milk, spices, honey, and then bake them. Okay, I'm on board, colonists. Our tradition of carving pumpkins around the Halloween time come to us from the Irish. The Irish had this tradition (laughs) back before, you know, they came to America. They would carve turnips or rutabagas, gourds, potatoes, beets, and place embers inside of them to ward off evil spirits for All Hallows' Eve. And when they came to America... They were like, hmm, there's like all these pumpkins around and they're way bigger, easier to carve. Let's use that instead. And I have for us the tale of Stingy Jack and the Jack-O-Lantern, which kind of is the tale of like where this comes from. Yes. I'll link the website where I got this from, but it was (laughs) pumpkinnook.com. Midwest is best, bringing you well-researched and highly critical stories. <laughs> From Pumpkin Nook. Since 2018. They do state that there's, like, lots of kind of versions of this story. And this they, they're claiming this is the most popular one. I mean, I don't know. This is, we'll just say it's one of the versions. So, <clears throat> Stingy Jack was a miserable old drunk who took pleasure in playing <laughs> tricks on just about everyone. Family, friends, his mother, and even the devil himself. Okay, first of all, Stingy Jack. <laughs> I like that you're interrupting your own story. Yeah, like, hold on. I'm not being. But, like, this. even the devil himself, like, if there's someone that you're not going to play tricks on, that's who you should just be like, nope, nope, that's crossing a line. I don't know if I'm believing this story. So, one day, he tricked the devil into climbing up an apple tree. After the devil climbed up... Hey! <laughs> circling back. Circling back to apples. After the devil climbed up the tree... <laughs> Stingy Jack hurriedly placed crosses around the trunk of the tree. Unable to touch a cross, the devil was stuck in the tree. Stingy Jack made the devil promise him not to take his soul when he died. Once the devil promised not to take his soul, Stingy Jack removed the crosses and the devil climbed down out of the apple tree. I mean, it sounds like a good plan so far. (laughs) It's like, hey, I'm sorry I tricked you and you're the devil, so now you have to promise not to take revenge on me. (laughs) Also, could the devil just jump out of the tree over the crosses? That's not how it works, Hannah. There's some holes in the story. Many years later, Jack died. He went to the pearly gates of heaven and was told by St. Peter that he was mean and cruel and had led a miserable, worthless life on earth. (laughs) St. Peter, man, does not mess around. like it is. Stingy Jack was not allowed to enter heaven. He then went down to hell and the devil. The devil kept his promise and would not allow him to enter hell. Now Jack was scared. He had nowhere to go but to wander about forever in the dark netherworld between heaven and hell. He asked the devil how he could leave as there was no light. The devil tossed him an ember from the flames of hell to help Stingy Jack light his way. Jack had a turnip with him. It was one of his favorite foods and he always carried one with him. Sounds plausible. (laughs) Like, as one does, just carry turnips around. I always carry my favorite food on me, just in case. (laughs) Jack hollowed out the turnip and placed the ember the devil had given him inside the turnip. From that day onward, Stingy Jack roamed the earth without a resting place, lighting his way as he went with his jack-o'-lantern. So I just really like in the story of Stingy Jack how he, like, tricks the devil and then it backfires on him. Because, again, if there's someone that you probably shouldn't be playing tricks and messing around with, 
it would be the devil. But the devil did help him out. Like he was like, he at least right. tossed him the ember. It's more than Saint Peter. Yeah, did. Saint Peter was just like, true. Out. Good job. Oh, did we just endorse Satanism? On the <laughs> um, yeah. I'm just saying, Saint Peter. You know, he's a tough bouncer. He's not gonna just let anyone into the club. So yeah, that's that's where we get our jack o' lantern traditions from, I guess. Uh, Hannah had talked about the Warren's Cranberry Festival. There are also lots of pumpkin festivals. I mean, this you know this is countrywide. Again, very popular activity to like go to the pumpkin patch and pick a pumpkin to take home and carve. The Morton Pumpkin Festival, which is in Morton, Illinois. Morton, Illinois is the self-proclaimed pumpkin capital of the world. <laughs> the Libby's people are there. That's like their where their plant is. Mm. So they have a pumpkin festival every year and the theme changes. This year the theme is s'mores because I guess, I don't know. <laughs> Great theme. <laughs> so I guess like if you want s'more pumpkin. Like making s'mores with I pumpkin? don't know. They just, when you go to the website for the Morton Pumpkin Festival, it's just like s'mores is the clear theme. But I guess like I could be down with a s'mores pumpkin. Pumpkin s'more? Pumpkin s'more. I could be down with If you had pumpkin cookies instead of graham crackers, yeah. I could see that being really good. I could see that working. Okay. But not like roasting a cube of pumpkin in place of the marshmallow or something. And like smashing it like, ah, chocolate and graham. That, that's pumpkins, Stingy Jack. I think, I think instead of carving pumpkins from now on, I'm going to bring back carving turnips. Turnips be. are so small. Good luck. So did Stingy Jack also have like a pocket knife with him? Because how did he carve that? Clearly, he's a trickster. The legend does not tell me. Well, if you can bring a turnip with you past death into heaven and then down to hell, <laughs> why not a pocket knife? You know. That's true. That's true. How are you going to eat that turnip without some utensils? <laughs> I feel inspired to have a history-themed autumnal feast now. Ooh. So we talked about the cranberries Ooh. with maple sugar, mm-hmm. the baked pumpkins that are like the inside is coated with the milk and honey. You can do baked and apples. And you can do some really heritage apples, some of the rare varieties, just to change it or up. Try some hard cider made from J- Johnny Apples. Yeah, Johnny's Apples. The rare Johnny Chapman <laughs> orchards still in existence that the FBI didn't cut up <laughs> and make some hard apple cider. And I'm just hungry, but I feel like that's good for the theme of this episode. That's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does sound delicious. In yeah. the, you know, Midwest, our days are getting shorter and colder, so you gotta gotta do something to keep warm. Yeah. And that's our, har- our harvest episode. Hope you harvested some good information. hey <laughs> On that note, fade her out. Thanks for listening. We'd also like to thank Kola, an artist from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for releasing music under Creative Commons licensing. You've heard their song, Till at Last, in our intro, and also right now. This podcast is also released under Creative Commons. Share and share alike. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as Midwest is Best Show. You can also check out our website at midwestisbestshow.wordpress.com.